Let's turn together to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We'll bring the lights up so you can see a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 18. As you're turning there, um, there's a lot going on uh, in our in our church, in our city, as we're continuing to kind of have like normal life and then flood recovery life and all that kind of stuff. And um, so that whole process is continuing. And I'm happy to say it sounds like uh, everyone has turned a corner in the flood recovery stuff as far as like our, like the people tied to us directly. Um, And so that's been really encouraging to see. It's been 11 straight Saturdays of hustling and working and um, stuff like that. So that that continues to to happen. Um, Last Sunday night we had a fundraiser for our kids going to camp. We raised uh, between eight and nine hundred dollars, somewhere in there, something like that. So, thanks for being generous and for helping our kids go to camp, even though they already went. Um, they went last summer, so uh, we'll do another one at some point for this summer coming up. And so, that was really encouraging. Last week, we have a membership class. Tuesday of this week, we've been asking people to sign up. And so, if you haven't signed up, Tuesday's the night. You can still sign up out in the foyer and stuff like that. And Adam's going to come later on and tell you about next Sunday. Um, there's lots of good things happening. God is, is at work. I feel like he's refining us, and um, I just feel like it's a really important season for us. Um, sometimes I will reference uh, the fact that uh, a lot of us are here today because of people's faithfulness a long time ago. Uh, this is Joey Dressler. He's down here in the front. Some of you guys know Joey back in the day. Uh, Joey's with us. He's one of those uh, giants that we stand on his shoulders. So, love you, man. Uh, great to see you just standing in the foyer after prayer. It was awesome. Um, we're talking about this semester, going through different kinds of relationships that we have in our lives and how all of our different kinds of connections we have with one another finds its origin in how the Father, Son, and Spirit relate to one another as the Trinity. That we are a reflection of that, made, made in the image of our God to have connections with each other. And those connections, are, are, they're not all the same, but they do have that in common. That whether we are talking about um, our church covenant together, whether you're talking about a marriage covenant, you're talking about uh, parents and their children, you're talking about uh, friendships, all these different kinds of relationships, the commonality is that they are all supposed to reflect what we see between the Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, and started last week talking about friendship and covered uh, some cultural myths that are out there about friendship. And so you'll just have to podcast that one because I don't have time to recap it. But uh, the, the bottom line is that when we're talking about the Trinity and we're talking about Jesus and the, his 12 disciples and, and, and how friendship exists between the Father, Son, and Spirit, friendship existed between Jesus and the Twelve, Sometimes those two models for what our friendships are supposed to look like can, can kind of be difficult to translate into like, okay, so what are we supposed to be doing really, you know? Um, and so <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I started, you know, trying to prepare for this leg of the teaching series and uh, just found myself studying through the friendship between David and Jonathan uh, in 1 Samuel and uh, really just began to just see some very uh, clear ways that they, uh, in real life, were imitating the Trinity and Jesus and the Twelve, probably without realizing it. 
And so what I want to do is, is I want to run through, there are five things that I've just kind of, um, that the Lord was showing me about their friendship and how they are reflective there. So there'll be five points. I'm going to try to go, I'm trying to pace myself kind of well um, so that we can kind of cover all those things. So within each of these, I want to look at not only what we see with David and Jonathan, but also where do we see that in the Trinity and where do we see that with Jesus and the Twelve? And how do all those things fit together to help give us some um, examples to follow in our friendships with one another? So, um, so who, who's David and who's Jonathan? Let's, let's maybe start there. Um, in 1 Samuel 18 is where we're going to start. But in 17, David killed Goliath. So it's that, it's that David. Um, and he was a boy... And he had a tremendous amount of faith and some pretty specific training as a shepherd. And so he went out and uh, went up against Goliath, who was the warrior of the Philistines. And he, with a, his training as a shepherd made him a, an excellent marksman. And his faith gave him the courage to go stand up to him. And so he uh, killed him and cut his head off. And so now like, David's kind of a celebrity in the like, Israeli army. And he's also a celebrity in the Philistine army because they're like, who is this kid and how did he just kill our guy, right? And so in 18, where it picks up, the, that, that has all just happened and there's all this buzz about David. Jonathan is the, the firstborn son of Saul who is the king of Israel. So Saul was kind of scared of Goliath and David went out and killed him. And so there's kind of starting this... Um, this kind of vibe, I guess, in Israel of like, Saul is great, David is really great. And they're singing about it, and they're celebrating it, and so there becomes this rivalry that starts between King Saul and this kid named David, who in chapter 16 had been anointed to be the next king. So you have Saul the king, David is the next king, but Jonathan is the firstborn son of Saul, who's supposed to be the next king. And so it's like this weird kind of movie plot kind of thing that happens. And so um, Saul, it's really Saul versus David, but then we see it picks up. That's probably not a very good setup, but it's the best I could do. Okay, Um, look at verse 1. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants." So Saul is recognizing that David has some, he has something. And so he puts him in charge of some, some of his army because he sees that this can be good for Saul as the king to have this uh, leader in his army who can you know, lead him to victory and that kind of stuff. But as all this is happening, Jonathan and David struck up this friendship. And so in this friendship that we see play out between... Uh, from this point in 1 Samuel all the way until the end, um, there is this, this uniqueness about them. And so of these five things, let me tell you the first one, and we'll look at verse 1. 
The first thing that in these, uh, I, just, I've, I always call them like hallmarks of their friendship, but I don't know if that's the right use of the word hallmark, but you can tell me after. Um, it says in verse 1, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. The first thing on my list is that their souls were knit together. Sometimes God just connects you to another person. It just like it just kind of happens, you know. Um, the that word, like when it says that, that their souls were knit together, um, like it's it is exactly what you think it is. Like like when you knit a sweater, it's really a series of loops and knots, right? That's that's all a sweater is. Uh, spoiler, you know, I'm sorry, that's all there is, kids. Um, it's a series of, of loops and knots that form this really strong fabric. It's the same word that is used, um, like in, in Deuteronomy, when, the, when, the, when, when God tells them that they're to love the Lord the God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he goes through these instructions about teaching your kids this and all that. And he says to, to bind it, let me make sure I get the words right. Um, it says to bind it on their hands and their foreheads. Uh, that's that same word to knit it to their heads and their forehead, their foreheads and their hands. So if you go to Israel today and you will see the like those verses like tied to their their forearms and strapped to their heads on these little boxes. Um, he goes on to talk about writing it on their doorposts and on their gates. And so if you if you go and you stay in a hotel in Israel, there's uh, this like thing on the door because they literally put it on their door frames and on their gates. Like it's a very literal thing. That's that binding. That's that tying together. Um, when Rahab the and had the spies and she hung the red cord in the window, she that's the same word that she bound it there. So there is this like like a knotting together, a knitting together that happens. Um, when Joseph was sold into slavery and, and his brothers were trying to figure out what to do, they were worried about telling their dad because his, he was so knitted to Joseph that they thought his grief would kill him as well. The, it's that kind of like deep, like knotted, knitted together bond that happens that we see. Um, so we tend to think of friendship as like, who's in your social like schedule? You know, like who do you watch the games with? Who do you tailgate with? Who do you you know hang out with and stuff? And that is a kind of friendship, but that's not the kind of friendship that we, that like that I'm talking about, and not the kind of friendship that exists within the Trinity and with Jesus in the Twelve. That there is a a knitting together of the soul to the point where it says that they loved each other as they, as though they loved. As their own souls, like it was like there was a oneness that was there, and like I said last week, sometimes people will take this as an example and say there was something romantic going on here, but that's a that's a new that's a new take on this in history. When you look at at the last uh, the hundreds and hundreds of years, no one thought that like that's a cultural thing that we're kind of born into to the point where I'm going to read some stuff in, in the story and you're going to feel weird about it. And it's because like, that's a pattern of the world that we're so used to that we think that marriage is the only way that you can be knit to another person in your soul. But the Bible doesn't say that. The history of the church doesn't say that. The Trinity doesn't say that. Jesus and the Twelve doesn't say that. Our culture says that. And so even in, even in us, like you're weird, so like, oh, that's kind of strange. Well, it's only strange to us 
because we have some rewiring to do. Sometimes God just connects you to another person in a way that you really can't explain. Where do we see it? Well, within the Trinity, that eternal bond between Father, Son, and Spirit is very clear. Um, even at the baptism of Jesus, I talked about this a few weeks ago, there's this really like intimate moment between Father, Son, and Spirit when Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water, and there's, there's the incarnate Son. Uh, the Holy Spirit descends on, on him as a dove, and the Father says, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. We get this like snapshot of that connection that they have together. And it's not just, uh, it's not like, oh, there's like there's these three equal gods and they just kind of all get along because they're all equal. It's like, no, there's a bond and a connection that is friendship just as much as it is anything else. It's kind of strange maybe to think that the Father, Son, and Spirit are friends with each other. But they're knitted together. They've always been knit together. They will always be knit together. We see that with them. We see that with Jesus and the Twelve. Um, a few times in the last couple of weeks, reference things like John fifteen twelve. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's telling these friends, he's like, Look, I have loved you like, consistently and so well. He reinstates Peter. Why? Because they are friends. Like He wants to see Peter be everything that God made him to be. John is the beloved disciple. There's a knitting together that we see with Father, Son, and Spirit, and we see with Jesus and the Twelve. Um, biblical friendship is a kind of bond that doesn't require, doesn't require constant interaction in order to be deep and healthy. Now, constant interaction is fine. And so there may be people that God connects you to and knits your soul together, and maybe that's also who you watch the game with. You know, It's who you maybe hang out with. But there are people that he has connected you to and knitted you to that live other places. It doesn't, this kind of friendship doesn't require like hanging out a lot in order to like maintain, like, oh, we're all good, we're all good, we're all good. This kind of thing, like this is... These are those people that you cannot have talked to in a month, you know, and then you talk to them and it's, it's like, it's refreshing. It's, it's filling to you. It's like putting on an oxygen mask. It's, they're not like, well, you never call me anymore. So whatever. It's not, you know what I mean? It's, it's not dependent on those kind of cultural things because it's deeper than that. You're knit together. Nothing wrong with constant interaction, but it, this kind of stuff doesn't require that. For some of you, this is, your, this is like your spouse. Like I'm describing your spouse to you. So sometimes that knitting together of the soul is also someone that you get to marry. And that's really, that's really great. That's what God has for you. That's really awesome. But there's a reason why it, it's going to sound like marriage at times. Because a married couple should be knit together in, at the, in the soul. But also friendships can be knit together in the soul. And those connections, aren't our souls big enough to be knit together with more than one person? Doesn't that make sense? And so it can be your spouse, but it doesn't have to be your spouse. It could be someone you connected with quickly or someone that took a long time. It could be an old friend. It could be a new friend. It could be a sibling. It could be a parent. It could be someone you haven't even met yet. I love that when, when people are like well into adulthood and they like become fast, deep friends with someone. I think it's so cool that you don't have to have gone to, have to, gone to kindergarten with someone in order to be knit together in your souls. Like there's, a, 
there is something beautiful that we see happen there in this first verse. For David and Jonathan, like this, this, there's this instant connection. And so being knit together uh, is it's a beautiful thing. And don't, don't get insecure if you're thinking, well, I don't have that person. Hear me out. Like, Give me a few more minutes to build a, a case here. But you probably do have that person. You have those people. It may just not be in a worldly sense, you know, like sometimes like we have a hard time, I think, kind of assessing our own lives because we're using the wrong criteria, you know. But it is also okay to ask for that. Like if you are feeling like you aren't knitted together with with um, with another person or or multiple people. uh, And that's something that you desire, like you you desire like a deep kind of friendship like we're going to see here. That's a great thing to just ask the Lord to give you. To either help you realize who, like, who they, those people may already be, or to bring some people your way. There's nothing wrong with asking for that and desiring that. But in the same way that the Trinity is knitted together, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the same way that Jesus and the Twelve were knitted together, um, that we see there, that same knitting together of the soul is possible for you and and. Not like all of your acquaintances and not all your Facebook friends, but it is possible for you and some very specific people that God has in mind to walk together through life with. Um, that kind of thing, like that's, that's a part of, I think, the vision for friendship that maybe God wants us to catch. Uh, so that's the first one. Their souls knit together. Uh, the second one comes from the second and third verses. Uh, and that's uh, the second one is covenant commitments. We've talked about this a lot uh, in the last couple of weeks, but let me touch on this real quick. Verse 2. And Saul took him, so David, uh, that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Okay, we see, we'll, we'll see them make a few covenant uh, like covenant oath type things throughout their uh, the, the chapters where their friendship is described, um, and those friendship like any kind of friendship is going to involve a commitment. Um, our world says that friendship has a low threshold of commitment, like I talked about last week, but that's not really what we see with God or Jesus in the twelve or David and Jonathan or us, hopefully. Um, so where do we see it with God? Well, all throughout the Bible, God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. He's proving himself to be trustworthy and steady. So there's a covenant with Adam and a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Moses and a covenant with David, and there's a new covenant with us. And God is constantly making promises that he keeps. Isn't it more fun to make a promise you're going to keep? Like, Isn't that like a cool thing to know you can promise somebody something and you can guarantee it's going to happen? Um, Friendship for us sometimes is portrayed as something that doesn't involve any sort of commitment. So it's easy to be like, oh, you made me mad? I'm not friends with you anymore. You know? Oh, you made me mad? I could badmouth you to other people because we're just friends. You know? Like I'm not married to you or I'm not uh, in covenant with you in any sort of way. Friendship is just kind of this like, side deal that is convenient or whatever. That's not really what we see there. So God himself is a covenant maker and covenant keeper all throughout the Bible. So I don't have time to read the whole Bible to you, but just trust me that that's there. Um, with Jesus and the Twelve, uh, here's two examples. Um, they're not going to be on the screen, but it's okay. Um, John 14, 
Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Um, sorry, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Like, look, I'm going away, but I'm coming for you. I'm preparing a place. I'm going to go prepare it. I'm going to come get you, and then I'm going to take you to that place. Uh, I'm going to make a promise to you, and then I'm going to fulfill that promise in my own sweet time. But I'm going to do it because I'm a promise maker and a promise keeper. Um, Jesus to the 12 in, verse, in John 14, 18 through 19, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. These are these massive commitments that he's making to his friends. Where does that come from? It comes from the massive commitments that the Father, Son, and Spirit have made to one another. Think about the covenant commitment that, that we... I'm just, this is my assumption. This is not in the Bible. This is my assumption. Think about, though, the discussion about the incarnation and uh, the like, sacrificial death of Jesus. You know? If God was like, okay, here's the plan. Jesus was like, okay, like, so you're going to kill me, and then you're going to breathe me back to life through the power of the Spirit. And the Father and the Spirit are like, yes, high five. You know? Jesus had to believe them. I know he was Jesus, and he probably never doubted. It was like, let's just think about the humanity for a second. Think about the trust that it took him in Gethsemane praying, being like, this is the moment. Now is when the covenant promise of resurrection is going to happen. His friends had promised him this. Father, Son, Spirit, there's a bond and a connection. The twelve, there's a bond and a connection. All rooted in covenant love for one another. So we see David and Jonathan a few times. Whenever they are like needing to make an agreement, they make a covenant with one another. You know, They don't pinky swear on it. They don't shake hands. They don't do that. If you ever watch the Dukes of Hazard, they like spit in their hands and shake on it, and that that was like a, the the most intense promise that could be made on that show. I don't know why I just thought about that. It's none of that kind of stuff. Like these are the deep kinds of commitment where you would slaughter an animal and you would say, "May this slaughtering happen to me if I break this oath." Like those are covenant commitments that are made. And David and Jonathan come up against a couple of things, a couple of intense moments in their friendship, and that's how, that's how they choose to get through this, as they covenant together that we are in this. These aren't little commitments like, no, no, I'll help you move next Tuesday, that's cool. Like, I mean, that's a good commitment to make, but these are the deep commitments of knitted together souls that are like, look, I don't care what you do, I'm not going anywhere. That's... That's a big commitment to make. I don't care what you say. I don't care what kind of argument we get in. I don't care what kind of like goofiness that you get into and try to hide. I don't care what you get bogged down in. Um, I am in this life with you. You can't get rid of me. Like those are that's the covenant commitment. It's the deep stuff of our friendships. We see it. Ruth and uh, Naomi have this. Uh, this, this, is, this is a like, 
A, a woman to her mother-in-law. Well, some of you are like, I will never say this to my mother-in-law. That's fine. Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. A lot of times people are like, that's a strange thing for two women to be saying to each other. Not if you understand friendship. If we buy into this myth that that's, you know, not, that's not for friendship, that's only for marriage, then yeah, that sounds really strange. But we see it. We see it. And so friends are knitted together, and they're committed to one another. So David and Jonathan, that's what we're seeing so far. Is that's, they're realizing, like, hey, God is doing something here, uh, and we can be committed to one another as friends to walk through this. The third thing um, is a, a willingness to sacrifice. So in verse 4, it says, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. It says, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So in order to understand this, we have to, you have to, there's some customary things there. So Jonathan, the armor that he's wearing, the sword that he is carrying, everything about him this was not just some guy in the army. This was the firstborn of the king. This is the successor to the throne. And so it's not just any armor. It's not just any sword. And what we're seeing here is like this is what you do to honor someone. Prodigal son, when this prodigal son returns and the father wants to, to dress him appropriately as part of the celebration. It's a similar kind of thing. Here Jonathan is... is is showing David something. In 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel anointed David as the king, making David the successor to the throne, and not Jonathan. And Jonathan is looking at David, and essentially is saying, I see that you are the anointed one. I'm going to sacrifice my birthright and what is coming to me for you, so that you can be exactly what God wants you to be, which is the king. This is a massive, massive moment of self-sacrifice. Jonathan was heir to the throne, but was willing to give that up in order to help his friend fulfill his calling. That friends are ready to sacrifice for one another. We see this modeled by God uh, God the Father, who was willing to sacrifice his own son, says in Isaiah 53, verse 10, it was the will of the Lord God to crush him, and he has put him to grief. That God the Father was willing to, uh, to lose his son in order to fulfill this redemption plan for humanity. He sacrificed for Jesus. He sacrificed Jesus for Jesus. And Jesus is the, like the king exalted over us. And so we see that commitment within the Trinity. We see that willingness to sacrifice. John fifteen thirteen. Jesus tells the twelve, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. He's telling this to his friends. It's almost like he's saying, Hey, remember this in a few days when I'm hanging on a cross dying for you. That this is what friends do. They lay their lives down for one another. 
similar in Philippians 2, speaking of Jesus, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is a, more, that is a longer version of Jesus saying, no one has greater love than someone who would lay down his life for his friends. That's what that's saying. And so we see that willingness to sacrifice in the Trinity and with Jesus in the Twelve. Biblical friendship is costly. Like if God is going to knit you together with someone and you're going to embrace that, and you're going to be committed friends, it is going to cost you. Because at some point, that friendship is going to stop being easy. There's going to be that tension that makes you want to walk away. It's going to make you want to just like give it up and be like, that's it, I'm done. I, can't, I don't want to do this. It's just easier to not like fight my way through this. It'll be costly. It'll have a lot of emotional energy, a lot of just physical energy. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you so much to be this, like, friends like Jesus was with the Twelve. And it'll be costly to be friends like Jesus was with the Father and with the Spirit. But that's the image that we're made into. And so if he's going to knit you to someone, someone that you can commit to, there's got to be a willingness to sacrifice for each other. To say, I will go without so that you can be who God wants you to be. And so there are times when, when forgiveness, like that's the thing that, that, that happens. Is it feels like there's this emotional debt between you because one of you sinned against the other one. As much as you want to pay them back for what they did, Jesus says, no, I, I died for that. I absorbed that pain. And so the sacrifice is... It, the sacrifice is, is revenge. The sacrifice is payback. The, the sacrifice is saying, well, Jesus already was the sacrifice. And so um, I'm going to be in this with you because I'm committed, because we're knit together. And I'm going to go without certain things. I'm willing to give up certain things so that you can be healed. You can be whole. We can be whole. Uh, we can be exactly who God wants us to be. And so friendship is costly. Um, you're essentially saying, look, I'm willing to do without so that you can have what you need in order to flourish in Christ. That friends are deeply invested in each other's um, wholeness in who Christ has made them to be. So, you get to the end of that paragraph, and there's a couple of chapters, a couple of important things happen. Um, I'm going as fast as I can. Um, so in chapter, so Saul gets really jealous and he becomes afraid of David because David has, it's, David's anointing is so clear and he has so much success in battle. Um, David uh, ends up marrying one of Saul's daughters and uh, Saul is hoping that he's going to kind of trick David into marrying one of his daughters and that she'll be like a trap for him. But it actually backfires and she's awesome and so uh, that's really good. And he's just more and more successful in battle and Saul begins to just see the fact that God has removed his, um, uh, let's, God has basically said, you're not the king anymore. This, this kid is the king. And Saul become, begins to realize that. Um, so in verse, uh, sorry, in chapter 19, uh, he begins to like try to kill David. Uh, some, in some ways it's subtle. Like he like tries to send this team of assassins after him and stuff. And then another time he throws a spear at him, you know? So it's like 
Saul's just kind of been kind of crazy, but he's so jealous and he can't he just can't really figure it out. And so um, David talks to Jonathan. And he's like, "Look, dude, uh, you and me are cool, but your dad is literally trying to murder me. Uh, I don't really know what to do." And Jonathan's like, "No, man, that's not that's not what's going on." My dad would tell me. And David's like, "Trust me, dude. Threw a spear at my face." He is definitely trying to kill me. And so they kind of come up with this plan on how to find out uh, exactly what Saul's intentions are. And so if you look, if you flip over to chapter 20, they're working out this plan. And this is like their dialogue once they kind of have the plan into place. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 12. Jonathan says to David, all right, right, here's here's the fourth point. The fourth hallmark of their friendship is the involvement of the Lord. Like there's an intentional of bringing God into their friendship. They don't operate independent of like, oh, God's over there, and this is like our friendship here. They're constantly bringing God into it. Verse 12, Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he's well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more, uh, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts, every, cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. So he's, he's making this pledge, and he's, he's like literally like bringing God into this whole like plan that they have together. That these aren't friends who are just operating uh, like in a disconnected way from God's involvement. There's an intentionality of bringing God into it. And so, uh, basically, uh, they, so they enact the plan. It's very clear that Saul wants to kill David uh, at, the, at the end of it. And so, Jonathan signals that David should, should basically run for his life. They come up with this plan where David is like hiding in a field behind a rock. And Jonathan, like the signal is, I'm going to shoot three arrows. And I'm going to send one of the servants to run and get them. And if I yell, hey, no, they're over here, then that means everything's fine. And if I yell, no, they're way past you, then that means you got to get out of here. So he shoots the arrows. The kid runs to get him. He's like, no, 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 they're way past you, which is the signal, David, you need to run for your life. And the kid goes and gets the arrows, and the kid goes away. And Jonathan goes out to talk to David, which wasn't a part of the plan. The plan was for David just to vanish, and that would kind of be the end of, of their friendship, and so when you're knitted with someone and you've made these covenant commitments, this is not a like, light little thing. Like, oh, no, we'll never see each other again. You know, His dad's trying to kill me, so I'm going to peace out. You know, it's not this light thing. So they have this moment, and look at how they involve the Lord again. Look at verse 41 in chapter 20. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another. David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, 
and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. They have this moment, and they're emotional, and they're embracing. It says that they, were, that they kissed each other, which is not weird to them. Uh, it's not what we're thinking here either. This is, a, this is a powerful moment of these two friends knitted together. We're like, hey, this might be it. And Jonathan says, you know, why, you know why we can part ways? Because we have already made a covenant that says the Lord is between us forever. And you're going to go and have kids, and I'm going to go and have kids, and the Lord will be between them as well. We are connected. We, are in, we have involved the Lord in our friendship. That's, real, that's a real friend. That's a real friend. Where you're bringing Jesus into your friendship. We see Jesus doing this for, like modeling him praying to the Spirit, him relying, I'm sorry, him praying to the Father, him relying on the Spirit. There's no sense of independence within the Trinity. They're always connected. There's always this communication. There is all constant inclusion for one another that's modeled for us. He tells the disciples, I'm going to be with you always, even until the very end. So you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth. He's making these promises to them because he no longer calls them servants. He now calls them friends. He's shared everything that God has with them as his friends. He's con- Jesus constantly, constantly connected to them. And so friends who... Consistently invite the Lord into your friendship when you're, when you're doing that as, as an individual and two individuals who are knitted together are doing that, then that's when you have this pattern of biblical friendship that is like Trinitarian. It's Jesus in the Twelve. If you have friends but you do not involve the Lord in your friendship, you, they're still your friends, they're just not this kind of friend. It's not biblical friendship. And so that's not meant to be a condemning word. It's, it's, it's really supposed to, I think, open us up to the possibilities of like, wow, these people that I'm connected to, like, why wouldn't I involve Jesus? Like, why aren't we talking about that more? Why are, are we not praying more? Why, why are we not more dialed into the fact that Jesus is between us forever and between our offspring forever, that that is the bond that connects us? He's the one that has knit us together. Last one. Chapter 23. Are you all with me? Am I talking too long? Are you okay? All right. Chapter 23. Between what... So they part ways. David kind of goes through... There's some really, really interesting things and uh, that happen in these chapters. But eventually David makes his way back to Jonathan. They kind of have a reunion, which is really, which is really a, a beautiful thing. And... Um, so here it is, this last, the, the last point, number five, is the recognition of God's activity. And this, this one, yeah, this one is special. Not that they're not all special. This one's really special. Verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh. 
and strengthened his hand in God. You and I need friends who do that for us. And you and I need to be the kind of friends who do that for one another. Strengthen each other's hands in God. Verse 17 said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. And Saul my father, he also knows this. And the two of them made, it, made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Harash, and Jonathan went home. See, God chose David as the king, and these friends were dialed into what God was doing in each other's lives, and their decisions were made based on that. God's plans among them. And their friendship, certainly, certainly, it had come up that David had been anointed as the king. And, jo- and Jonathan, who was the heir to the throne, was willing to sacrifice that, but also willing to affirm that in his friend. of Like, no, this is what God is doing. You will be the king over Israel. Saul knows it. I know it. It's going to happen. This is what God has for you. And to be dialed in to what God is doing, that's to be a friend to someone. To be quick to point that out. Jesus with the twelve... John 14, he says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. He tells the twelve, you guys are going to far surpass what I have done. That's what God's doing among you. You have no idea what's ahead of you. Because Jesus sensed God's activity in their lives. He tells them like all about the Spirit in John 16. He's like... <laughs> He says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. We tend to think that's all about the crucifixion and stuff, but maybe it's how awesome the, like the like spirit-filled life is going to be for them. Look, when friends pay attention to each other's lives, um, this is what happens. You strengthen each other's hands in God. When we have a prayer time like this, it's a part of it. Can we strengthen each other's hands? Can we come and kneel together? Can we sit in a room together? Can we sing Can we pray? Can we look at God's word? Can we hug one another and can we go? Can that strengthen each other's hands in God? If if you want to be a Trinitarian, Jesus and the Twelve, David and Jonathan kind of friend, then you're looking for what God is doing in your friend's life and you are speaking that, you're affirming that, you're reminding them of that. You're saying, this is what's happening and I see it. I'm ready to sacrifice for that to happen. I'm ready to commit to seeing that through. I'm knitted to you. I'm committed. I'm in this for the long haul. Let's, let's do everything we can for you to flourish in who God made you to be. And when they are doing that for you, and it's reciprocated, and then if God, if, if God decides to knit you to a couple of people in those deep ways, and you have multiple friendships where that's happening, then you're like, oh yeah, these are the people that strengthen my hand in God. These are, these are my friends. These are my Trinitarian, Jesus and the Twelve, David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi, friends. And that's what God holds out to us in Christ. I think it's amazing. And I know that the possibility exists for the enemy to come in and lie to us and say, that's not true, and, or you don't have that, and you'll never have that, and this and this and this and this. Can we just, can we just let... Let the model of the Trinity and Jesus and the Twelve 
and David and Jonathan and Ruth and Naomi and Paul and Barnabas, can we let those examples be louder than the bull that our enemy wants to whisper to us about our friendships? And can we just get excited about the fact that Jesus makes this possible? I think we, I think we can. I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll, I'll trust him, you know. And so I hope that this is encouraging to us. And that the enemy stays away from trying to discourage us. But uh, when I see David and Jonathan's friendship, it reminds me of the goodness of Jesus to me and to us. And so it's appropriate. And we're not going to do this just because it's what we do every Sunday. But we're going to take communion. And as we are lining up together with these friends... You know, everyone, you're not knit together like this with everyone you're in the line with. But there is a friendship and a covenant and a a power that exists among us because we as a church family have all embraced one another in these, like, some very similar ways. That there is a way that we're knit together. But all of it is made possible through what Jesus has done. And so we, as his friends, like, he's knit to you in in these ways. He's knit to you. He's committed to you. He's willing to sacrifice for you. He is involved with you. And he knows God's activity enough to see it through. And so communion is a, is a, is a connection with Jesus as your friend as much as it is anything else. So let's stand together. Let me pray for us. I know that was kind of long. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Next week will be shorter. It really will. Adam's going to come and serve. So this is the communion kind where you tear it off and you dip it in yourself. And, uh, you know, it'll take us a little while, but it's good. And, and you're invited to come. If you're a believer in Jesus, then this table is for you. Um, if you're not a believer in Jesus, then stick around afterwards. Let's talk about that. That would be, be a great conversation to have. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll celebrate together. Um, God, I'm just grateful uh, for just the many ways that you set the pace for us. And um, thank you for our connections that we have with each other. And regardless of how we label them, uh, they're all a shadow of you and how we are made in your image to connect with each other. So God, I'm thankful for this example, David and Jonathan, that is following in the footsteps of what we see throughout Scripture of, of the, the kinds of deep connections that you can make in our lives. Jesus, as we step to the table, help us as we're in line to think about, we're, about us approaching a friend who is standing at the table offering us his body and blood so that we can flourish. Willing to sacrifice so that we can be all that we were created to be. That greater love has no one than this. May we think about that as we're in line with other people who are, who are going through the same door into the same kingdom. Thank you, God, for knitting us together with you that kind of connection we just can't really explain we love you and as we sing and pray and take communion I pray that uh, you'd use this time to uh, 
impact the deep parts of our hearts and minds that you have in mind uh, and that you intend.